Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 31 of Dan 1132. I'm Jim Wittevin. Happy to be here with you yet again for another episode and another very interesting, fascinating, and I believe extremely important topic that we'll be discussing in this episode. And as usual, I'm going to be taking my starting point from a book, a book which I uh, recently purchased and have recently read. And the book, for those of you who are watching on Rumble, I'll show the cover. The book is called Dispatches from the Vaccine Wars, Fighting for Human Freedom During the Great Reset. And the author of this book is Dr. Christopher A. Shaw. And there's a foreword by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And if you know anything about the issue of vaccines and the controversy over vaccination and various vaccination programs and types of vaccination and mandatory vaccinations, you'll know these names, particularly the name of Robert Kennedy, who is the head of the Children's Health Defense Organization and has done a lot of work uh, informing uh, the world about vaccines and the nature of vaccines and uh, um, what we can what we what we need to think about when we think about the issue and about vaccinating our children and taking vaccines ourselves now if i were to have this channel my channel on youtube or some other platform perhaps i wouldn't be able to mention the word vaccines and i'm not sure about how this is going to work on the uh, the audio podcast but i know rumble is a free speech platform so i'm going to speak openly and freely unlike some people who are on youtube they have to use coded language and that's part of what we'll be speaking about today and I'm going to be focusing in this episode on one particular chapter in this book. And I highly recommend this book, by the way. Uh, you can do some research into Dr. Shaw. He's a professor of ophthalmology at the University of British Columbia. But his specialty is in the neurosciences. He's a neuroscientist. And the area of study where he has focused his attention is specifically on the impact of aluminum on the central nervous system. And aluminum is one of one of the uh, main adjutants that's used in vaccines. And so that's why the vaccine issue came uh, into his orbit, into his, uh, under his attention. Uh, and so he's known uh, as uh, a researcher, uh, someone who's written papers and published papers on this issue. Uh, by no means without controversy, you can do a, a web search and you'll find uh, plenty of detractors, but he addresses those detractors in this book. And I believe he does so in a way uh, that really explains his position and what has happened to him as a result of his research, which is really quite concerning and quite disturbing, as we'll see. But there's a reason for that. And the chapter in this book that I'm going to be focusing on, there's chapters that are very scientific in nature. There's other chapters that are more political in nature. Uh, the political chapters are also very interesting, and, and I believe I'll probably be doing a podcast on those uh, issues as well. But the, the chapter I'm going to be focusing on in this episode is the what, he, what Christopher Shaw calls the religion of vaccinology. And then I'll also later on tie that in with this podcast in particular and, and why I'm choosing to focus this episode on the, the issue of medicine and the issue of vaccines. Uh, 
because some people may call that into question. Why Why is a pastor, why is a missionary focusing on vaccines and, and medical issues when he should really stay in his lane? You know, over the past two years, we've heard a lot of that, where pastors are, are uh, their, their viewpoints and, and what they say is called into question because they should be teaching the Bible. They should be speaking about the gospel. Well, we'll talk a bit more about that later. But I want to start where... Uh, Dr. Shaw starts, and he, and he asks the question, does vaccinology behave like a cult? He says, vaccinology, uh, first of all, the definition, is defined as the branch of medicine concerned with the development of vaccines. As a discipline, it's focused on vaccines, the development of them, their characteristics, their actions in the body, the kinetics and dynamics of vaccine stimulation of the immune system, Finally, in particular, the materials science that makes things like adjuvants possible and effective. Basically, he says, vaccinology lays claim to being a scientific discipline like any other. As such, it is expected to adhere to the core principles of observation, hypothesis generation, experimentation, data analysis, and interpretation of results based on other research in the field. To be effective in vaccinology, a solid grounding in immunology is essential. Hypotheses that don't generate an expected result are expected to be modified or discarded. But, he asks, what if vaccinology doesn't strictly play by these basic rules, but has another element, one more closely resembling the dogma of formal religion or even cults, in which it cannot allow an opportunity for any aspect of its core assumptions to be falsified, and replaced. So a question, what if it's behaving like a cult? What if it's behaving like a religion? And he goes on to ask the questions in in different words. He says, in other words, what if vaccinology and some related disciplines in medical science, such as parts of epidemiology and public health, as they relate to vaccines, have now more fully embraced similarities to religion? And so he discovered what Christopher Shaw discovered in his own studies as as he was uh, excommunicated, you could say, from the scientific, the mainstream of the scientific community. He discovered more and more the religious aspects of the issue of vaccines. And he writes about that experience, and he said that during that experience, what gradually dawned on him was, and quoting for the book again, that the whole subject of vaccinology and the application of this to medicine was very much like a religion, or worse, a cult, in that one had to accept all of the catechism or be cast out and become an outsider on the fringes of the scientific establishment. So he continues, he says, Continuing to study aluminum adjuvants and reporting on the outcomes was rapidly putting me on the path to excommunication, and I would soon join other scientists who, in the words of one hostile blogger, and you can find uh, several blogs, and I did some research on that, you can find several blogs that speak very disparagingly about Dr. Shaw. Uh, In the words of one hostile blogger, to continue the quote, used to be pretty decent scientists until all of us went over to the dark side. So how does this play itself out? And why would a scientist say that vaccinology and some aspects of epidemiology and public health have become like religions in themselves. 
He says this, in these days of COVID-19, a typical response to any critique or question about various state policies is to provide the shorthand reply, because of the science. The science is settled. The conclusion has been reached. We can't question it, and we shouldn't question it, because the science is there. How dare you question the science, especially for us lay people, unlike the high priesthood, how, how dare we question the assured results of science? He continues, It is as if simply evoking science without necessarily knowing what science does generally or in relation to COVID-19 specifically were considered a su- sufficient reply. This sort of statement alone provides a clear insight that far too many people have come to see science as a secular religion in which, if you disagree, you must hate science. And so he goes on to speak about this settledness aspect of science. The science is settled. We've arrived at our conclusions. And he uses the examples of of archaeology and paleontology as areas of the sciences which are completely different from vaccinology, various controversies that have happened throughout history, when hypotheses have been made, when theories have had to be changed. Uh, and he uses the example of the, uh, the arrival of the first humans in the Americas and, and as a, uh, a long and detailed example that he gives about, where, about an area of science where people who have said, made different claims, have not been excommunicated from the area of archaeology or from paleontology because of their different claims. Although, in terms of when we when we talk about uh, creation science and the secular sciences, perhaps there is that as well. But within the, the, the mainstream of science, and those sciences in particular, those wings of science, the same things don't happen. And he says, one does not hear in any of these fields, those other fields like archaeology, even those that challenge other industries, a phrase commonly used about vaccines, the science is settled. It is an odd thing for anyone to say about any field of study, but more so when pro-vaccine advocates say it, particularly when it is blindingly clear that the science of how vaccines work and their effects is not at all settled, as the previous chapters have demonstrated. And I highlighted this section. This aspect of settledness puts vaccines and their proponents in a quite unique status, one that more than anything else resembles a religion with its devoted adherents. Vaccinology has achieved a status usually reserved for religions and acts of faith therein. As such, it is less and less about what science actually shows, and more about how rigorously and how much any person actually believes, as noted in the Bloom article. Indeed, it is not just a religion, but a fundamentalist religion bordering on a cult that can tolerate no deviation from the true faith. And uh, an interesting author to check out who's had, he's an Italian philosopher named Giorgio Agamben. And if you do a web search for him, you'll find some blog posts of his that have been translated into English. And I've written about them previously. Uh, back when I was on Facebook, I published some some articles. I put some articles, wrote some things on Facebook about him, Giorgio Agamben, and what he had to write. And this was near the beginning, in the in the first months of the COVID nineteen situation. And his articles are very astute, uh, very insightful, 
speaking about the religious nature of modern medicine and the scientists and the doctors as the high priests and chief practitioners of what is in fact and what has become a religious worldview and an alternative uh, in this sense to the Christian faith. So what is religion? Well, I think we know inherently, implicitly, what religion is uh, as religious people, which I'm assuming are the majority of the people who are watching and listening, and specifically as Christians. And Christopher Shaw, in this chapter, he includes many citations from a Slovenian social scientist named Mateja Sernik, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, Mateja Sernik, who uh, wrote specifically about the relationship between religion and science and the religious aspects of modern science. And the what she says about religion is that the the quoting from the book, the essential characteristic of religion, its essential and fundamental role/function is to explain the world. To explain what the world is, how it functions, what are its rules and laws, what is truth, lie, black, white, food, poison, how we should behave, how we should function, what to expect, how to cope, etc. It creates the order out of chaos, gives us maps and directions, categorizes, molds, organizes the great unknown into something manageable. This is also the fundamental role, function of science. So what we're seeing here is the issue of worldviews. We always speak about in terms of of worldviews, understanding of the world and our place in it. Why are we here? What's, what's our purpose in life? Where did we come from? What's the problem? And what does the future look like? And how, what's the, first of all, what's the solution to the problem and what's coming in the future? These are the, the essential worldview questions when you think about a worldview. And so what we, what we in fact are seeing here is a fundamental battle of worldviews. And what Shaw says is that uh, he, he compares the uh, the Christian religion, or or we could say organized religion. By the way, Shaw is not writing from the perspective of a Christian specifically. I'm not sure what his religious beliefs are, uh, if he has any specifically, but he does cite a Jewish rabbi and a Christian theologian as representatives of their various religions. He doesn't speak on his own behalf on these issues. But he speaks about the similarities between religion and science. He said each each system wields enormous power over their respective communities, although the relative amount of power has changed. At least in the West, science now holds more clout in shaping how people view themselves, their society, and their future. As Cernic describes, must of the, much of this shift arose with historical events, the, the Renaissance and the Industrial Revolution, for example, not to mention that capitalist economics played a role in shifting the balance between the two. Before, simply stating a doctrine of any religion was often sufficient to sway behavior. Now, for many who are less inclined to listen to religion, arguments are framed as being because of, quote, the science, unquote. It's the same behavior. 
So there's a real recognition here, even among people who are not writing from a Christian perspective, that we are dealing here with a battle of worldviews. And he goes on, citing uh, Cernic and speaking about the, the comparison between religion and medicine and science, saying this, Medicine's war on diseases and death is similar to a religious war against sin, as viruses and bacteria have replaced devils and demons, and the structure and functioning of the World Health Organization is similar to that of the Church. Physicians have replaced priests, and old religious morality is being substituted by a new moral code. Healthism, and this is this is something that Giorgio Agamben is very strong on. And like I said, I highly recommend checking out his blog posts. That's Giorgio Agamben, A G A M B E N. Do a search for him and find those articles. They're they're very very good. And so he, he continues. Even though the subjects, the object of faith and its expression are different, their religious nature persists. And the quote of Cernic continues, moreover, a physician like a priest combines the roles of the judge and moralist, ethicist and politician, and thus becomes the agent of the state. The medieval principle of dictatus papi, the, the dictate of the Pope, has changed and now integrates the state with medicine. Consequently, a confessional state is replaced by a therapeutic state, and medicine becomes a modern inquisition. And so the Inquisition, you know, you may have heard of the Spanish Inquisition, the, the uh, organization that, that sought to root out heretics, very, became infamous in history, uh, often exaggerated, but still infamous for uh, rooting out heresies uh, in Spain and other Inquisitions in, in other nations, especially in Europe. Uh, in, in what has happened is that medicine has become the modern inquisition, hunting heretics, hunting those who will not comply, who refuse to comply with mandates for whatever reason, because of the, the freedom of the person, because of the freedom of parents to make decisions on behalf of their children, or because of health reasons, or because of moral reasons, whatever it may be, the inquisition, with its religious nature, no longer wants to allow that to happen. So what happens with this religious or quasi-religious worldview? Well, Shaw writes, simply put, one does not question vaccination, ever, in any way whatsoever. If one does question it, one is sanctioned and expelled immediately. Questioning vaccination is the greatest sin, the greatest taboo in modern medicine. Vaccination is medicine's holy cow, and no one can ever doubt it in any way. In a way, vaccination is like a holy grail of modern medicine, one of its foundations. If this foundation falls, everything falls, or at least cracks, or at least, or is at least severely threatened. And when I say foundation, I don't mean it health-wise, I mean from the ideological aspect. And so people begin to ask questions, and when they ask questions that that begin to hammer away at the foundations of a worldview, other questions come along with it. And so what happens is those on the outside become apostates. And Shaw writes, the mindset of apparently many in the mainstream medical community is pretty clear. 
namely that it would be better to censor and self-censor data about vaccine safety that is inconvenient for several reasons. And this happens with studies that may, may arrive at results that would perhaps lead to higher vaccine hesitancy when scientists themselves do not publish studies that they have done out of fear for increasing vaccine hesitancy among the laity, among the general public. First, to avoid frightening a public, Shaw writes, perceived as too ignorant to understand the literature, or at least that part which supports vaccination. Second, to avoid the opprobrium of colleagues that far too easily can be career-ending. And then he continues, the punishment inflicted on almost complete believers. So these are people that that are not what we could call, using the pejorative, anti-vaxxers, but who call into question certain things about vaccines. They're, They're almost complete believers, but not quite. But the punishment inflicted on them is accomplished through shunning and removing them from speaking positions, trying to prevent funding for their research, or even getting them fired from their jobs. Of note, for an academic scientist, the loss of funding can lead to the end of their job in due course for faculty members who have only grant tenure. And so they can be excluded from the inner circles of the, as as we spoke about last week in, in last week's episode, the anointed elite in this particular area. He talks about, once again, citing uh, Mateja Cernik, uh, Shaw goes on, to, to speak about what happens when worldviews are, are attacked and changed and, uh, and really undermined when people begin to question or a- even ask questions about vaccines, the nature of vaccines, the usefulness of vaccines, the safety, safety of vaccines, and the morality of vaccines. What happens to them? Quoting Cernic, the foundations of one's world, one's core beliefs, shake This is one of the most profound betrayals a person experiences in today's world. They lied about vaccines. And I'll skip that next part. And so the journey down the rabbit hole begins. What was previously a good, trusting, law-abiding citizen in regard to vaccination now becomes a rebel, a fighter, a cynic, a heretic. The enchantment, the, the veil, the trust, the belief, all gone. Because the betrayal was so deep, and so deep was precise, and, and so deep was precisely because vaccination was put on the highest pedestal. When person, uh, when a person truly researches vaccines, the state authorities, doctors, etc., lose the majority of their power over that person. This person then starts to research, truly research other things, and an average person can do that. Can do research. An average person can can use their God-given intellect and wisdom to do that. And never let anyone say that you need to stay in your lane and not research these things or use pejoratives uh, about you because you do research. So the person researches other things, learns other truths, tears other veils, but usually no other awakening is as brutal as awakening from the vaccine faith. So that's the end of the quote from Cernic. And Shaw continues to say, there we have summarized in a single paragraph how most of those who were once pro-vaccine came to be vaccine resistors. The alliance of much of the medical profession with the state and the pharmaceutical industry has created rebels, not only about the merits of vaccines, 
a vaccination, but about a range of medical, political, and social issues as well. And I will happily include myself in that camp. Prior to the events of the last two years, vaccination was not something that I had ever really considered much. I'd kind of just accepted the received wisdom and never really questioned it, never really looked into it, never really studied it. And I, I lumped anti-vaxxers into kind of a fringe group of of people who are perhaps a little bit wacky and and uh, and unusual. And uh, yeah, you know what? They, it's good for them. They can uh, have their opinions on that. But uh, that's not really something I'm overly concerned about. Two, over the past couple of years, with the the rush to put on the market experimental medical procedures to treat a disease that is actually uh, not as lethal as many and which does not cause has not caused apart from government reactions uh, the kind of damage that you would consider a pandemic as causing more damage has been caused by government policies and overreactions uh, and and uh, various political maneuverings and and uh, the takeover of power and the growing authoritarianism, more damage has been caused by that by the, by, than by the actual disease itself. So within that, that, that context, I know I and many others have come to question and to seriously question and to do research and to look into these things and to ultimately reject the, the false religion of the vaccinology, epidemiology, uh, medical establishment, which is what exactly what it has become. And so that's really Shaw's point. So, so having done that, there are, uh, there are many other questions that people begin to ask. One part of the building falls and the rest of the building falls along with it. And then you start asking questions about politics, about what's going on and why these decisions are being made and why these policies are being implemented and why we are constantly living in a state of exception for the past couple of years. Why do we have these so-called emergency measures which never seem to end? The two weeks to flatten a curve has become two years to flatten a society. So when we think about vaccinology and the issue of vaccines as a battle and the and the what what he calls the fact what Shaw calls the vaccine wars when we when we think about them as a battle of worldviews, Shaw says it's not really surprising that state system science medicine etc all working in concert battle vaccine hesitancy with such force with everything at their disposal. This ideological religious aspect of vaccination is a very important one. And it's part of the reason why anti-vaxxers are attacked like rabid dogs. There are other reasons as well, of course. Through mass vaccination, everything can be injected into general public. Anything can be done to the public. But these ideological reasons are, in my opinion, a very, very important part of the picture, Shaw writes. With vaccination, our liberties, our freedom, stand or fall. If they can forcibly vaccinate us, they can do anything to us. But this, he says is perhaps a topic for another discussion. So when we talk about the, the issue of vaccines, 
we're talking about, we talk about this, and we need to think about this, this issue on several different levels. And especially when we're talking about the various vaccine passports and vaccine mandates and, and not officially enforced, government-enforced uh, for methods forcing people to get vaccinated, but, but means that, that use business and participation in various aspects of our society. Those means are used to lead people and to uh, not force people to get vaccinated, but almost... You can't go to a restaurant. You can't can't go participate in certain activities. You can't fly. You can't enter a train uh, without being vaccinated. Well, you can't go to certain universities without being vaccinated. You need to be vaccinated, or else you can't study. So, what choice are people going to make if they're if they really want to get their education? Well, very many of them are are simply going to get vaccinated. Others are going to have the courage of their convictions and they're going to to not only speak against forced vaccination, but they're going to act against it, even though it does uh, impact their lives and greatly in a negative way. You can't travel anymore. Well, you can choose. Do I want to travel or do I want to be free? So there's the aspect of freedom, our personal freedom, our personal autonomy, our personal rights which are being trampled in all of this. Then there are the aspects, the religious aspects, as we've seen in this chapter of Shaw's book and as we've discussed. And the fact that we are dealing with two distinctly different worldviews, with different views of what's the problem. You know, what's, what's the version of sin in, in this uh, vaccine medical establishment uh, worldview? And what's the solution? And what's the eschatology? What's the view of the end times? What's the view of salvation? How can we be saved from it? And when you see it in that way, and when you understand it in that way, then you can understand why I, as a pastor and other pastors, many other pastors, are also choosing to speak out on these issues, despite the controversies that are involved. Despite the fact that not everybody agrees on this topic. It's because it's simply so important because it is a matter of worldview, and it's a matter of religious faith. Who are you serving? When, you've, when you see the medical establishment in this way, and the vaccine uh, establishment, we could say, as a pseudo-religion, with all of these various attributes of a religion— it must lead us to ask, at the very least, at the very least, to ask these questions and to consider them very carefully. And that's, that's not even considering or getting into the issue of the actual production of vaccines and the moral issues that are involved in the use of aborted fetal tissue in the production of vaccines. With all of the other things that are, that are involved in the subject, it's already enough for us to, or should be enough for us to lead us to ask these serious questions and not simply like sheep accept the, the word of our society's elite in working in concert with each other, big business, big pharma, the, the big organizations, the, the Global Alliance for Vaccine and Immunization, the World Health Organization, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, uh, and the pharma, big pharmaceutical companies and governments working in concert, and the the scientific establishment as well. 
working also to silence any opposing or questioning voices. And that, that should lead us to ask some serious questions and lead us to consider as Christians how we should view and how we should think about this issue. And that's where I return to what I said in the beginning. Why, why as a pastor would I be speaking about this, this controversial issue when I should just be speaking about the gospel and, and, and uh, perhaps I could, I could do a, uh, a podcast series on the five points of Calvinism or uh, introducing people to the Heidelberg Catechism or speaking of doing a Bible study of some sort. Well, it's because Jesus Christ is the Lord of all. And he's the Lord of our bodies as well as our souls. He's the Lord of politics as well as the church. He's the Lord of all the world. And our Christian faith must touch and must inform every decision that we make, including the decision whether we're going to get vaccinated and whether we're going to have our children vaccinated. That is an issue, a religious issue. It's a fundamental faith issue, and our faith needs to inform this and all other decisions that we make. Now, I think most, many of us have simply taken what our Christian ethicists have, uh, have said about vaccines, and, and over, the, over the past generations, we've accepted vaccines, or the, the, those who specialize in ethics have, have, have rationalized this. They've, they've explained why Christians can take vaccines. But I think that that issue needs to be seriously studied and seriously revisited. And the, the, the results of the studies of even the Reformed ethicists, the well-known uh, authors of Reformed works of ethics, which study how we apply our, our morals in our lives, those works and what they write about vaccines and medicine in general need to be re-examined especially in the light of what's been happening over the past couple of years, which have brought to light this chasm that exists between the Christian worldview and the scientific uh, medical religion worldview, which has taken such control in our world. That's how important this is. So for a pastor to speak out about this, any pastor is... is I would argue very strongly is what he must do. He must do this because religion is about all of life. Now, if you want a religious life that is limited to a worship service or two on Sundays, uh, some rousing singing and, a, and, a, and an emotional experience uh, and uh, a, a joyful time in those couple of hours and for the rest it doesn't really have much impact in your life, well then, this is not how uh, someone who would think in that way would think. But as a Reformed Christian, and as, as people who, who build on the heritage of our Reformed Church and, and our Protestant and Reformed uh, forebears, we need to build on that foundation faithfully and, and do the work also that they did in seeking to apply the gospel to all of life, including in medicine, including to uh, the issues of health and the issues of science and the issue of vaccines. So on that note, I'm going to stop here for now, and I hope that I have given you food for thought, at the very least, to look if, if you are 
whether you find yourself on the uh, the full full scale rabid anti vaxxer side of things, and I'm I'm definitely going more and more to that side of things. I must say that, or whether you're vaccine hesitant, or whether you're a proponent of vaccines, I hope that this leads you to seriously consider, in the light of all of all of this uh, uh, this information, our position, your position and your decision-making on this front and not be sucked in by a worldview that is antithetical to the Christian worldview. So as usual, if you find Dan 1132 helpful, please do pass it on, pass on and share the Rumble channel, uh, share the, uh, the audio podcast, whether it be on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts, or on Anchor, wherever you find your podcasts, please leave a review and uh, comment, and please do pass it on. And my prayer, as always, is that what we do and what we uh, speak about in this podcast will help God's people to stand firm, in the words of Daniel 11, 11, verse 32, to stand firm and to take action.